0: Okay, like I said, Wayne's our teacher this morning, and I'm going to be reading through some Bible verses, which Wayne will be touching on in his teaching this morning. Feel free to follow along with me, there's a, a several that I'll be uh, reading from. The first is Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 6, Exodus 20, 3 to 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Reading from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. It's called the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Romans 12one 1-2 Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And lastly, Colossians chapter 2, 6 to 9. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world Rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Thank you, Wayne.
1: Thank you very much, Blair. Hello, everybody. Before I begin teaching this morning, I just want to highlight for you you might remember, you hopefully will, that in our Shelter's festival season last year, on the Day of Atonement, Daniel Hollett brought us a teaching and a word about the presence of the Lord and God wanting to increase his presence among us. And we've been leaning into that. We've been doing that in the prayer room. And we've been doing it on Sundays. And there's been an increase of his presence. We don't ever want to take that for granted. But I want to say that the Lord's not done either, and I know sometimes in in worship, um, in the last few weeks, well, in the first four, four we had four Sundays. This is their fourth Sunday for January. For me, it's at times it's felt almost overwhelming. It's been all close to what I imagine it was like in the temple at the dedication of Solomon's temple or the Lord's temple by Solomon. And a couple of other times as well, where the cloud of God's presence filled that place so that the people couldn't function. I don't know if you felt like that this morning in your spirit. It's almost like overwhelming. So I want to say, the Lord's released that word to us. We are leaning into it. We enjoy, but we don't take it for granted and he has more for us. So I want to encourage you. Let's let's say, Lord, please more. Please let it be. That I can 't function <laughs> that's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? Like to be so overwhelmed with his presence like that, the only thing you do is actually lie down like that's like that 's it that's all I got. Cast my crown before you, God it's wonderful let's pray together, Father, as we open up these uh, words this morning, we ask that you would give us that gift of a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we grow in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our heart are opened. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts and fill them with your light to see you as you are, to see ourselves as we are before you, and to see the world in which we live more clearly. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay. So we began a little series last week, uh, the slide should be on the screen behind me, looking at our major statements which we revisited a number of years ago, we say what we're after is being people who are aligned with God's plan, because God said he's going to bring everything in heaven and on earth under the authority of his son Jesus, we unpacked that last week, you can go back and look at that. We touch a little bit on about being a people consumed by the great commandments to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, to love and having been filled with his love to then give that away. So having a compassion for God and compassion for people. And this morning I want to touch a little bit on the mission that we have as a whole body, but it's not just. It's not just for us Sundays, it's not just for us as a church, it's actually the mission God's given every single disciple. Hands up if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ in the house today, this is your mission, it is to make disciple makers, it's very simple. So we go right back to the beginning, we had the reading from Exodus, I chose that for a reason because right at the beginning God was always looking for people who he would dwell amongst who would reflect him to the world around about him. So back in Exodus, it's God choosing Israel in that way, um, saying that out of you, you're going to be my treasured possession, and you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And what he means by that is, um, just in case you think that means something like what the Roman Catholic or Anglican church looks like, it is not that at all. It's not. It's not robes. It's not swinging incense. Those are pretty handy things sometimes, but that's not what God had in mind. It was that you would be priests because priestliness began in the Garden of Eden. We, we've had teaching on that before. This idea of a priest who comes near to God, who, who worships God and goes and looks after the world as God intends it to be looked after. That is a priestly role. So God intended to have a nation of priests, Israel, who would show the world what it's like to be in relationship with this great creator God and would, would reveal him in the way that they live collectively as a people. So that people go, wow, I want to live in a society like they live in. I want the God that they've got. Because look how functional their lives are. They, they're functional, they're healthy. That is God's plan. Then we fast forward and of course Israel didn't do it any better than Adam and Eve did it and it kind of went pear-shaped in its ups and downs and highs and lows and all those kind of things. And there's people that there's always a remnant within that people group that were faithfully loving God with all their hearts, soul, mind and strength and loving their neighbours themselves and were doing that. But by and large it didn't. Then, well, then we come to Christ. Jesus picks 12 from what ethnic group? 12 Jewish men, 12 Hebrew men. It's very important to understand that because none of us are those. We don't live in Israel. We live in Australia. We tend to think he picks Aussies. He didn't. He picked Hebrews. So he chose them to be, to be his disciples. He called them and there's a whole, we can look at that in a lot of detail. You can read this uh, in the scriptures, the process. He calls them to be, to be with him, to follow him, to learn from him and become like him. That's the goal of a disciple. There's a phrase that, that's talked about, and we've taught on it before. I'm not going to touch on it. But it's called, I want to be covered in the dust of my rabbi. is when Jesus is walking around as a rabbi, you want to be close. You want to be the disciple as he's walking the dusty roads of Israel that, that you get covered in his dust. And what that means is that's just, that's just a fa- fancy way or colloquial way or whatever you say, however we want to say. It's like, I'm right here with him. I'm so close to Jesus, I'm getting covered in his dust. That's the kind of disciple we want to be. So close to Jesus. I'm captivated by him. I'm mesmerized by him. I want to be in his presence. I want to be be so close to him. And so then he commissions them in Matthew 28, which was read to us as well. And so our mission as a congregation, as a church, but your mission as an individual is to be a disciple of Jesus, be close to Jesus, up close, being transformed by Jesus, and showing other people what it means to be a disciple, teaching other people what it means to be a disciple. Parents, this is your first and primary calling to your children. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your first and primary job as a parent is to disciple your children into the fullness of Christ. It's not something you delegate away to to an organization, whether that be a church or a Christian school. And the thing about it is that learning to be a disciple is a lifelong process. It's never like an arrival. Because some people think think that being a disciple is a bit like being an apprentice and you eventually become a tradesman. It's kind of like that, except the apprenticeship is not four years and then you become a tradesman. It's a lifelong process. (laughs) It never ends. Because God's so good and glorious and great that the process of transformation never stops. I'm much older now than when I began the process. I'm not done. He's not done with me. He's not done with any of us. There are some of you in this room that are older than me. that have been following Jesus longer than I have. He's not done with you. There are plenty of you that are younger. He's not done with you. So you don't give up and be discouraged like I'm failing at this Christian thing. I'm failing at following Jesus because look what I did. Of course, yeah, look what you did. Get up and go again. Love the scripture that was used for the feast of Jesus' this morning, Hebrews four. We can come confidently and boldly into before His throne when, oh, when everything's going well. Well, I'm nailing all my targets. When I'm hitting all the goals. When I'm praying every day. When I'm reading my Bible every day. I can come confidently into God's presence. That's not what Hebrews says. Hebrews says I can come confidently and boldly before His throne of grace and mercy. To receive help in my time of need. When's my time of need? Well, it's right now. It's in this room. It's before I got here. It's when I leave here. That's when I... So I can have confidence because of who he is, because what he has done. It's not about me. So I don't give up. I keep going. I pick myself up. I say, God, here I am. I got dirty. I fell in the dirt of sin cleanse me by your blood, restore me back to that intimacy with you. Here I am again. And he says, I'm so glad to see you. So glad you came. Hoses us off. Let's go again. Maybe he doesn't hose us off. but So Jesus wants you to be a disciple of him and he wants you to be about the the commission that he gave to be a disciple maker, and we have that. And that's we we keep uh, moving as a congregation, and we keep changing things, we stop things, and we start things because it's all about: Are we actually making disciple makers? That's our question. That's my question as lead pastor, Julie and I together. That's our question to the board and the overseers: Are we actually making disciple makers? Because that's what Jesus said we're to do. But I want you to understand that disciple making is not something that just the church is committed to. It's not. Our culture is totally committed to disciple making. I'm going to give you some examples in a minute about that. Our culture is totally committed to conforming you to be like them, to become like them to get covered in their dust, not the dust of Jesus. This is why we are warned not to be discipled by the world. That's what Paul said, and we had read from Romans 12, that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not be discipled by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is an ongoing process, a continual process. We live in a culture that's committed to disciple us in not, in not the ways of God. It has a plan for your life and it wants to conform you. Now we're going, so the world's not a neutral zone. It's much so important that you realize that. You know, we think we live in a peaceful country and there are no missiles landing here at the moment. But our country really is, you need to think more like a war zone. There are many battles being fought all the time, all around about you. And parents, you need to be aware there is an enemy that's fighting a battle, waging a war against you to gain control of your children, your grandchildren. Remember last week I said there's a snake on the loose in the earth. There's a snake. Remember, there was a snake in the garden. The snake is still on the loose, on the earth, biting people, devouring people, poisoning people. There are forces at work pressuring us to conform to us. And this is not new. It was going on in the early church, and that's why Paul gave this warning um, to the, the people who were living in the Greco-Roman culture of his day when he said to them, this is, we had this reading from Colossians, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And you'd be thinking, well, I'm smart. I'm an intelligent Aussie. I'm not going to be taken captive by empty philosophies. I'm not going to be. The thing is that empty, deceptive philosophies don't, don't walk up and go, let me deceive you. So there's this warning that Paul gives the people of that day. He says, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and empty deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. See, Paul's not confused who's in charge. Paul's not confused as to who's the top of the ladder. Of all the gods that are on offer in the Greco-Roman pantheon, Paul's not confused, and he's saying to the Colossians, and I'm saying to you, don't be confused. Jesus is the top. The others are not gods. So I'm sounding a warning this morning. You might have picked up on that. If I had one of those air horns, I would have bought it. Because I want to give you a warning this morning. And some of this might not apply to you, but I want to equip you so that as you continue to go and function in society, you will have some warning signs available for you of places you'll begin to see. I want your eyes open to see. I want your eyes open to see if there are places where you have been taken captive by these deceptive philosophies that depend on the elemental spiritual powers in the universe. And I want you to be aware and be able to help other people who have been taken captive because you've got them in your circle of friends and you've got them in the body of Christ. So I want to talk briefly about Antichrist disciple making. Now Antichrist, you need to be aware that Antichrist is both an alternative Christ, an alternative Messiah, an alternative Savior, and it's... And anti as in against. So it's alternative and it's against. The two things go hand in hand. An Antichrist is against Jesus as Messiah and Saviour and and an alternative. So one of the things that you'll know... Oh, we've lost a few heads there, but that's okay. It's good. It's appropriate. (laughs) One of the things you may or may not know is that Hinduism and Buddhism have been encroaching and increasing their influence, their philosophical influence, because they use that language rather than religious language, slowly been capturing Western society for more than 150 years. It's risen to great prominence since the 60s and 70s. That's the 1960s and 1970s, for those of you that weren't there and missed them. Let me just run through a few of these. Right? So, I uh, communicate with some people on an app called WhatsApp. It offered me an avatar. I could put my own avatar up. I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? What's an avatar? What is an avatar? Who knows what an avatar is? It's in, and there's movies being made called Avatar. Well, avatar derives from a Sanskrit word meaning descent. It first appeared in the English language in the late 18th century and it refers to the descent of a deity to the earth, typically the incarnation in earthly form of Vishnu or another Hindu deity. And it later came to be referred, I'm quoting from um, this case, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of this, then embodiment, incarnation in human form, and then to embodiment such as that of a concept or philosophy, whether or not in the form of a person. So you need to understand that if you went and saw Avatar, is the first movie or the second movie, that what you were drinking in visually was uh, this philosophy, this Hindu philosophy. Um, probably some of you know the yin-yang symbol you see it up there on screen, probably don't need to point it out to you. This is a Chinese philosophical concept, that the universe is governed by cosmic duality of two opposing and complementing principles or cosmic energies. There's no creator in this, it's all energy. The universe creates itself out of a primary chaos of material matter organized into the cycles of yin and yang and formed into objects and lives where else have you heard of cosmic matter randomly forming it into the miracle of the human body yes the evil eye is a kind of supernatural force that casts or reflects a malevolent gaze back on those who wish them harm or can wish for harm so um, we first we saw this predominantly when we were travelling through Turkey a number of years ago. But you can buy them here in markets. It's it's the one in the top left hand corner there, and you wear it, and it's meant to ward off evil spirits, return a curse back to people, as to protect you, and you can also release a curse through it. Mantra, mantra. This is a word that's come very commonly. You you hear this regularly in, on um, talk fest on TV. Shows. I forget what they call them these days, but I call them talk fest. just people sitting around yapping their heads off and getting paid large sums of money to do it, and people pay to listen to them dribble on. Um, but often they'll talk about, oh, my mantra and this and that and the other. But ha- you may not realise that mantra is actually, again, it's from the Sanskrit, and it's a sacred utter- utterance. That's what mantra means, a sacred utterance. It's Hindu, it's Buddhism. It's believed to have religious, magical or spiritual powers. So when you, you may see people sitting cross-legged with their arms folded like up on the screen or with their fingers gripped in a particular way and they're making a particular sound. So it's all to do with sounds and right vibrations and energy and all those kind of things. What about Luck. Remember, we're talking about things that have taken us captive. How many of us have used the word luck? Oh, bad luck, good luck. Well, who's luck? According to our dictionary, it's a force that brings good fortune or adversity. So the uh, Star Wars films are full of this force be with you, imagery. Hope no one in this room does yoga because that's just pure Hinduism. It's just become accepted in our culture. You, you can now get rebates from your health funds and everything. So what, what I'm saying is I'm just peeling back and saying this has been permeating and saturating our culture. So this is not to condemn anybody that's got caught up in this. It's just to say we are swimming in it. My job is to point out the pollutants in the water that we're all swimming in. Yoga is an ancient system of physical, mental and spiritual practices. It's from the Sanskrit word translated as yoke or union, to yoke together, to bind together or to unite. Now, where have you heard the word yoke before? Some of you read the Bible. Didn't Jesus say, come to me, take my yoke upon me? In other words, be joined to me, my yoke, learn to obey me. So if I'm yoked to Christ, I certainly don't want to be yoked to anyone else. Let's go a little bit different direction from here. I appreciate the Christian counsellors we're able to refer people to. But modern psychology has its roots back with a gentleman called Sigmund Freud that some of you will have heard of. His approach and understanding of humans and how humans work has been a major influence in Psychology. If ever you go to a psychologist, you want to ask them who their strongest influences are. Freudian psychology teaches Freudian beliefs, what Freud believed. Now, Freud believed there was no God. So that's his starting point. He's an atheist, right? So you think Colossians 2, taken captive by empty philosophical things, okay? So... People were were coming to see Freud to be fixed. Freud says there's no God. Freud believes all mental illness. He comes to conclude that all mental illness is caused by repressed sexual desires. So his prescription for many people was go and fulfill those secret, hidden sexual desires that you've been too afraid to give birth to. Go and do those things. We're several hundred years after Freud. What is our culture saying about sexuality? Come back to Buddhism and Hinduism. Buddhism and Hinduism believe in an impersonal force who creates life and that male and female are illusions. They are illusions that we have constructed. Where do you hear that in our culture today? We hear it a lot of places. And we quote from a source of Hinduism and Buddhism. Buddhism, the goal of Buddhism is enlightenment, which is to, is that you would come to see that your egoic, individualized self never existed in the first place. Your whole life was an optical illusion of consciousness. Doesn't that just fill your heart with hope? Just like I would love to find out that my whole life has been an absolute optical illusion. It's perfectly meaningless. Now you're sitting here and you're thinking, how do people actually believe this? And that's a really good question because you go back to Colossians 2 and Paul says people have been taken captive by deceptive philosophies and the elemental principles. You see, there's a snake loose in the garden. Hinduism, the goal of Hinduism is again released from the endless cycle of birth through the oneness, becoming oneness with the impersonal creative force powering the universe. So no wonder Paul is warning us that we do not be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. We want to make sure that what we're engaging with in our society is is going with God's plan, which is God's plan is going to bring everything in heaven and on earth under the authority of Christ unified together, and Christ is going to be supreme over all that exists. He already is, but we will just see it. Heaven and earth will be reunited. So all the time, we need to be people who are saying, is this what I'm saying and doing? Is that the kingdom of heaven? Is that God? Is that a revelation of of what a disciple of Jesus lives like? There's other discipleship strategies that are going on in the world further antichrist disciple making there's the whole climate catastrophe disciple making process that's going on now let me just say that's not the same as climate is changing and has changed and has always changed and you know as far as we know it will continue to change and we know that the scripture says all creation groans longing for the return of Christ but do we have a climate catastrophe as all the catastrophizers are saying, and we've only got this many years before it's all all you know, over and done with. I think God's got a different timetable to whatever doom. If you go back in the 1950s, some of the people that are speaking doom and gloom were speaking that in the 1950s, except we were doomed by an ice age in the 1950s. So climate catastrophizing has been a disciple-making process for a long time. So be aware. I'm just saying, be aware of what the roots of these things are. Another one that's prevalent in our culture. And again, there's, there's aspects of this one that we, we, want to, we, want to, we want to appreciate. We live in Australia. We understand that the indigenous people were the first people that God put in this nation. But they were not worshipping God and they have a thing called the dream time. And they want to disciple us into their dream time to say this is of equal value to scripture. That's all I'm saying. Be aware. We appreciate and we learn and we value indigenous culture in some degree. But we don't take it on lock, stock and barrel. And we need to always be asking, what is being formed in me through this? And parents, you want to be asking that about what your children are learning in school and in university. Okay. So there's a lot of anti-Christian disciple making going on. We are followers of Jesus. We want to be our alignment. Our assignment is to be a disciple of Jesus individually and to be raising disciples of Jesus. So that's what we are about and that's the mission that Jesus gave to us. So disciple making is a relational process. Next one, thank you. It's very important, we'll we'll go through these. That it's a relational process. You can't do discipleship by remote control. Artificial intelligence is not going to disciple the world. It's a relational process where... We demonstrate to another person how to love, know, and obey Jesus Christ. And you can only do that up close and personal. That's how Jesus did it. He said to the disciples, come and follow me. And that's why we, the, the doors of New Life Church are open to people who want to learn how to follow Jesus. People come into New Life Church in all sorts of states, from people who are committed to following Christ to people who are just curious and motivated and want to find out more. So they come and hang around us. And I don't know where you're all at this morning in terms of that. But if you keep hanging around New Life Church, we promise you, you will hear a lot about Jesus and we will do all we can to cooperate with his process to transform you to be like him. His invitation is come and follow me, learn from me, take my yoke upon me, upon you. Take it on. You've got to learn from me. You've got to learn what it means to obey me. Okay, a couple of years ago we sat down and we we thought about some of the key characteristics of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and we came up with seven they're on the screen behind me but the first and primary one is a fascination with Jesus Christ that leads to Christ-like transformation that's number one it's this whole thing of I'm up close and personal with Jesus I'm fascinated with Jesus I want to know Jesus I want to know who he is what he said what he taught and I want to become like him that's number one Number two is obedience to Jesus in everything which flows from number one and the rest all flow out of that. Increasing in biblical literacy just flows because the Bible is full of what Jesus said. I want to increase my biblical literacy. That's a lifelong process. I want to have a life that's characterized by prayer and worship. All disciples want this. I want to be prepared for and longing for Jesus' return to govern the world that is a key thing It's a key part of the early church it needs to be all part of us in our disciple making prepared for longing for jesus to return not to it so i escape from not having a difficult life but so that we see the kingdom of god come we see everything on earth as it is in heaven under the leadership of jesus justice across the planet and number six we embrace the possibility of persecution and martyrdom for christ not meaning the Western Church are doing that, we are doing it, because that's, that's in the Scriptures. Our brothers and sisters in Iran, North Korea, all other places, they're already on the board with that, we're catching up with them, that we understand that it may cost us our lives to follow Christ. Number seven, we live and function in biblical priestliness, which is to understand this is who I am. This is the identity that God's given me as an image bearer. I get the opportunity and the privilege to draw close to him. That's what priests have. Priests have proximity, close proximity to God, and then ascent from his presence into his creation to establish his purposes. And so we are a people with passion for God and compassion for people that grows and increases. That's a key thing. This is, this is, the great thing about following Jesus is, is, is it's a never-ending, lifelong process, but it keeps getting better and better. And though we stumble and fall and we go, there's part of my heart that loves God, and there's actually part of my heart that doesn't like God. And there's things I read in the Bible that I like, and there are things I read in the Bible I don't like them. And I want to take those bits out. Well, when I do that, I'm exalting myself above God. Because God saw fit for them to be included in. And what I've learned is actually the bits I don't like cause a wrestle in my spirit. To go, God, what on earth? What were you thinking, God? Right? Because clearly... I'm thinking something very different from you and I want my thinking to align with your thinking, which is Paul in Romans 12, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't want my thoughts to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. I want my thoughts to come under the knowledge of God. And so my love for God grows and increases and what flow, and flowing out of that is an increased love for people. Those two things go, go together. and we've, we've touched on this before. Just to say it again, we cannot say that we love God who we cannot see, quoting one John, if we do not love the people around about us who we can see. Next week, we will meet in house churches. We And the house church configurations have changed for people. And last year, you were all happy campers by the end of the year in your house church because you were like, I feel okay with these people. They're not too bad. I think I'm beginning to love them. And now we've shuffled the deck and you've got a whole bunch of people to learn to love all over again. What a gift you've received. (laughs) It's a gift. You see? It's easy to love the people we like. It's easy. That doesn't take anything. You don't need Jesus to help you love people you like, do you? You don't. It's people you don't like. You're going, God, help me. And you really mean it. <laughs> you say, God, help me to love them. You love them. God, connect my heart to your heart so that I love them the way you love them. Yeah. Okay. So this is our journey to be disciples and to make disciple makers. And God's plan is gloriously unstoppable. And in New Life Church we will stay focused on growing as people who are passionately in love with God, overflowing with compassion for people around about us and making disciple makers. So I want to I've got some pretty hard-hitting questions as a response this morning. So that's a heads up that you could be about to get whacked nicely. It's in love. Remember it's in love. It's all love. After all that you've heard this morning, maybe there's something you need to renounce. Maybe some of that stuff that I put up, or maybe just the Holy Spirit was highlighting something as I was speaking. And you've realized, wow, I've been discipled by da, 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 whatever that might be, which is an antichrist discipling. And might, there might be some, something you need to actually renounce. and by renounce, I mean this. like the question that the, in the early church, they would ask people um, who were being about to be baptized, they would ask them this question: Do you renounce the devil and all his works? The vain pomp and glory of the world with all covetous desires of the same and the carnal desires of the flesh so that you will not follow nor be led by them. Do you renounce the devil and all his works? And the person being baptized would say, I renounce them all. And I want to say, if you've been taken captive by any of these vain philosophical human or demonic agendas you need to renounce them today and I'm going to invite you to pray in a moment for that but also there may be some things that you going to go home today and get rid of out of your house or your office or your car that you realize now are actually Hindu or Buddhist symbols some that I've mentioned I didn't mention dream catchers, but maybe, but that's another one. See, people buy these in the markets and they can give it to you as a gift and you can unknowingly put it up in your house. The list, there's a long list and we're not going through it today. But there might, there could be some things, you know, wow, I've got to get rid of that. It could be something you paid a lot of money for. But you go, that's got to go because it's, it's, Anti—it's against Christ. It's offering an alternative to Christ, and it opposes Christ. It could be a battle going on right now because you're like, "I don't want to get rid of that. I like it." It's like, "Yeah, ooh, that's dangerous. That is dangerous." Because it's like, "No," you say, "My allegiance is to Jesus, and to love Him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to give my life for Him in the way that He gave His life for me. Nothing is more important than that." And then the third and final question is, what biblical command do you need to obey? Something God's been highlighting to you. Maybe it could have been something from the readings, but it could just be something else that God's been highlighting. Let's pray together. Yeah, Carly and the team can come up as we do that. But let's pray together. and Let's, let's begin with, what do you need to renounce? Just begin to speak out, out that. I renounce the devil and all his works. I renounce all the things, anything and everything that I've taken on that's actually Hinduism or Buddhism or that's Freudian or that's indigenous demons. I renounce all of that. And I surrender myself fully and completely and only to the Lord Jesus Christ. I say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Lord, you can have, you gave yourself fully and completely for me and I give myself fully and completely to you. And Lord Jesus, I will get rid of anything in my life, any physical thing in my home, my car, my office, anywhere, I will get rid of anything that is, that I've learned today or that you show me in the future is an alternative to Christ and against Christ as Lord. It's my promise to you, God. I'll get rid of it. No price, it doesn't matter what it costs me. Nothing compares to the price you paid for me. Nothing compares to the eternal weight of glory that you are offering me through your son. So I will get rid of anything in my possession and destroy it so that it will not lead anyone else astray. This is my promise to you, God.
2: One of the things that we're swimming in is this idea that it's okay to have a bit of this and a bit of that and to be completely tolerant. We need to be tolerant in our society. We need to embrace for the sake of being tolerant. It's, it's the enlightened way to go. And that the God, of, the God of the Christians is very intolerant. And it's become a problem for many in the body of Christ. Because we don't want to be counted among those who take God at his word. And align ourselves with a God who created the heavens and the earth. And whose rightful place is to be Lord. And so we have so many voices speaking up and crying out with so-called wisdom. And the Lord says, this is not wisdom. That is the path that leads to destruction. And those who are wise will see it. I want to read to you from Numbers 33, verse 55. This was God's warning to the Israelites. When he talked about them going into the land of Canaan and driving out the inhabitants he says if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land let me just say this that these inhabitants of the land they'd been there for a long time they were steeped in idolatry and evil practices all kinds of sacrifice child sacrifice and all kinds of evil that we can barely imagine and occultic practices and idolatry and the lord had given them i'm confident because he breaks in all the time trying to bring people's hearts to himself to the worship of the one true living god and they had refused and wickedness and bloodshed covered the land of canaan and god was using israel to bring about judgment and so his command to the israelites to joshua to moses when you go in drive out the inhabitants of the land Those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. This is one of those passages that we struggle with and many Christians struggle with this. But I know many Christians who are struggling with barbs in their eyes and thorns in their sides. And the Lord is calling us out Because his son is worthy of wholehearted love and devotion and worship. And because the world needs, God wants in the earth a voice and a witness to the worthiness of his son. Because he desires no one to be destroyed, but to save everyone. That's what he desires. Later in Deuteronomy, which is called the second giving of the law, Moses says this. Well, he's talking with the Lord, actually. And the Lord says this to Moses. I have heard what this people said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go. Tell them to return to their tents, but you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws you are to teach them to follow in the land I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. And that is the Father's heart to bless and to prosper and to prolong life in the land that he is giving. It's all about him. It's all about his goodness and his mercy a new life this is this is something that we know god is speaking to us as a community it's not an old it's not a new message it's an old message start of covid wasn't it jeremiah 6 stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient paths and then the next sentence to israel was but you would have none of it And we need to cry out for God's mercy for the areas that we want to cling on to and not release fully, not bring them fully under the authority of Jesus. The Lord wants to bring healing to His people. He really does. But we need to remove the barbs, the thorns. We need to respond to Him we need to know that he is good and he is our father who art in heaven and holy is his name amen let's stand together as we worship I don't know what song we're singing Carly come and behold that's beautiful isn't he fascinating we need to be captivated we need to be captivated more by his loveliness and his goodness and God our Father as creator, author of life, then we are fascinated by the passing temporal things of this earth. God have mercy on us, eh? And may his grace abound to us to be people who love him wholeheartedly. He's worthy